Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast every week. We try to bring you a slice of current affairs you might find engaging and informative. We look at the big stories of the week and we also hope to delve into some of the off-agenda stories that are featured in the Irish Examiner and our unique interpretation of those stories. Okay, we're in election mode. They're a coming for your vote. What kind of election is it going to be and what kind of election should it be? One man who has some strong opinions on the latter is Dr Sean Healy, who's the Director of Social Justice Ireland, the organisation that uses evidence-based research to lobby for a more equitable society. Sean, you're very welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, Mick. Sean, a couple of things just to put to you before we start off, and um, some people would definitely say that we have never had it so good in the country. Two statistics that I might throw at you that emerged recently, I think it was the uh, economist Dan O'Brien mentioned them. One of them, and he quoted from um, an EU statistics agency, that says, we in this country um, eat more takeout food and visit restaurants more than any other country in the EU. The other one is that in 2018, we as a country took 7 million flights. Now, some of those would be... The majority, presumably, you in holiday, you might also incorporate visiting relatives or whatever, but there were 7 million flights, 1 million up on 2016. Now, I know they're very particular stats, but they do point towards a country which is doing very well, and not just that, that is doing very well, not just for the few, but for, if not everybody, certainly the many. And I think there's a certain validity in that, but it's a partial picture. Ireland is doing very well. Our macroeconomic numbers are brilliant. Most countries in the world give their right arms to to have uh, growth rates that the Irish economy has, that would have employment levels like the Irish economy, that would have low unemployment like the Irish economy. Those kinds of numbers are very, very good. You remember that the problem with it is very interesting, though. You remember back in the day when Bill Clinton was running for president of the United States in the first election. And they coined this slogan and they had it up on the wall in his election headquarters and they had, uh, they made a big deal about it. And it was, it's the economy, stupid. All right. It seems to me that one of the things we've learned in the nearly three decades since then is that it's the opposite is the case. It's not just the economy, stupid. You see, Our economy has done extraordinarily well, but other things have not. Our infrastructure, like in social housing and public transport, in rural broadband, isn't anywhere close to where it ought to be. Our services in health, in childcare, in education, uh, are not where they ought to be or where Irish people would think they should be and where certainly you'd think a country with the level of uh, income and wealth that Ireland has as one of the richest nations in the world has. uh, We're not there. And not alone that, we have uh, three quarters of a million people in poverty. 200,000 of those are kids. Uh, Like It's not not this, while there's a terrific uh, success on the economy, 
we're not doing very well on the other side at all. So I would simply say we need to, as a country and, and as an electorate, adopt uh, a slogan that says it's not just the economy, stupid. So what if it's not the economy, what is it? Well, can I put it another way to you, Sean? If the economy is doing well, and part of that is showing that wages are rising, mm-hmm. people are doing much better than they used to. And I presume some people who are, who are very much in favour, for example, a low-tax economy would suggest that what you're doing is you're putting more money into people's pockets, you're giving them greater choice and greater capacity to spend on services in the areas where the state is not perhaps performing as well as it should be. I suppose on the one side, uh, it is true, as I, as I said, that the economy is doing very well. It's also true that wages are rising, but there's an awful lot of relatively low-paid jobs out there, sort of basic entry-level jobs, and people don't get beyond them. They certainly, We certainly have a new situation where the vast majority of people, for example, can't afford to buy a house over, uh, or to get out, take out a mortgage. That's a structural a issue, isn't it, it? It's more than a structural issue. It's not just a structural issue. It's, in, it's got to do with two things. One is on the one side, it's the level of income people actually have, and on the other side, it's the fact that we have not put in the supply, particularly of social housing at the bottom end and therefore people seeking social housing who should normally be in state provided houses or houses provided by approved housing bodies are in fact depending on the private rental sector being subsidised by the taxpayer uh, in the uh, housing assistance payment and the result is the taxpayers putting billions into the pockets of landlords, really. Okay, we'll just deal with housing because that is one of the main issues. You, you, you could, could, I it suggest, could I suggest, yeah. just let, before you get to housing, and I'd be glad to deal with housing, uh, but just to, to finish the economy point, it seems to me that we have to work for a vibrant economy. Like, nobody can accuse me of saying I'm not working or I'm not in favour of a vibrant economy. I absolutely am. We need to have a vibrant economy. But to have a vibrant economy that is good for society and so on, you need to have four other outcomes, not just the vibrant economy. You need to have decent services and infrastructures. You need to have just taxation. You need to have real participation or good governance, if you want to put it that way. And you need sustainability. Like everything you need, you do, needs to be sustainable. Now, so therefore, in a government should actually be looking at, at addressing uh, or achieving those five outcomes, if you like. And any programme for government after this general election should have those five components as the central pillars, if you like, of their programme for government so that they would be they would be making a series of commitments and initiatives to develop a vibrant economy, decent services and infrastructure, just taxation, good governance and sustainability. And they, I think they would all claim that that is exactly their aim, but obviously people will differ as to how much they They're emphasis. not doing it simultaneously. An awful lot of people seem to think that if you get the economy be right, the other four will follow. It's not true. You need the services, you need the infrastructure to have a good economy. You need just taxation to make the to, to make the economy work as well. Okay, and you mentioned housing and that I think Absolutely. is one area definitely where a lot of people will suggest, as you have yourself, that there is inequality there to the extent that perhaps a younger generation are in a position now <laughs> where a huge cohort of them will never be able to own their own homes. You have 10,000 people more than ever before homeless, nearly 4,000 children, which is an obscene situation, personally, I think. But in terms of tackling that and in terms of a government, an incoming government, whomever they may be, tackling that, I would have thought that the first and foremost thing is supply. The more houses you built, the, the, the better you tackle the issue. Are they not doing everything they can in terms of supply within the constraints that are there? The answer to that is no. 
sorry, let, I don't let, just include the me, current government. I'm saying about any, any possible government. Perfect. Uh, like I'm simply saying, not nearly enough is being done, and not nearly what could be done isn't like isn't being done either. But let me just step back one step. Uh, housing is one of the biggest issues that has to be addressed. Uh, it has an interesting characteristic when you put it together with public transport, the other ones that are that have to be addressed, like the healthcare, uh, public transport, rural broadband, uh, the, the various other bits and pieces that like, like childcare. One of the things that we need to recognize, I think, and this is very important for a new program for government, is this, that none of those challenges is going to be met in the term of one government. Like there's no, none of those can be solved in five years. What we need is a program for government that addresses the, all of the challenges in an in integrated, comprehensive kind of way and moves it forward in a direction. It'll take us a decade to solve it's an awful lot of these things. It's politicians to think beyond the next election, Sean, in, in our culture. But we need, we are where we are and part of the reason we are where we are is because short-term decisions have been made. So, okay, let's not get into too much of an argument about why we are where we are. We find ourselves in this situation with a very good economy and uh, very good macroeconomic numbers, but on the other side, uh, very serious problems and serious discontent and serious social challenges that need to be addressed. And one that we haven't mentioned yet, uh, which fits into them all, is the growing population number as well. Ireland's population is set to grow by a million and a half in the next 30 years. Ireland's older population, that's people over 65, is set to grow by almost a million in that 30-year period. So we're in an extraordinary moment of change, if you like. But go back to housing. I'm not, I don't want to avoid housing. In fact, the opposite. I think what we need to do is do exactly what you're saying, increase supply dramatically. But my focus would be this. I, I would do what I could to, 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 to support private developers and so on. But the key is not in that space. The key is not in the private sector. The key is in social housing being provided. And the scale of social housing being provided at the moment is nowhere near what is required. The government published its roadmap for social inclusion to 2025 uh, the other day. And what they have there is a repetition of what's in their housing strategy, which is they will build 12,000, or not, they won't build, they will produce 12,000 uh, social housing units and they'll get them from different sources. Um, each year. But that isn't remotely close to what's required to deal with the problem. We have over 70,000 families now, not individuals, 70,000 families out there in, um, in, uh, on waiting lists. We have 90,000 on uh, households uh, in receipt of housing assistance payment. There's a huge number of uh, others who aren't listed at all. Uh, because they're in overcrowded accommodation, but they're not actually listed on waiting lists or wherever. Uh, the result is we're 12,000 a year social housing units won't get us to the required number in the next 20 years. So that, that, that's a nonsensical approach. What we need is a, an, an approach that realises we're in a crisis situation and therefore we need a crisis intervention. What's the crisis intervention? Build somewhere in the, in the region of 25,000 social housing units a year and put the resource into doing that. That means you have to re recruit all the local authorities to do that, give them the capacity to do it. And second, and the, 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 almost direct them to do it. Like, don't give them options that they can opt out. And secondly, uh, I would also involve the um, approved housing bodies. They do a very, very good job. And I think we need to also maybe look at it a bit differently about how we actually uh, work it at the other end when they actually have been built and we're producing them. I think we also need to think in terms of cost rental by 
by which I mean that uh, we have to start the development of social housing that over a period pays for itself. Uh, and, the, and the result is that it doesn't then have to be on the government's books, if you like, and, and, and subject to uh, the, the, the fiscal rules of the European Union and so okay. on. And, and we have d done a lot of work as Social Justice Ireland. We have done a lot of work to show how that can be done and how it can be done well and how it can be done to scale. Two practical issues arise there in terms of, and I think an awful lot of people would agree with you in principle, the idea that we really need to ramp up, particularly the social housing element. Two issues, though. First of all is capacity and whether or not the capacity is there to ramp it up to that extent, literally to find the people to build the, the planning issues that arise. And as well, let's face something else. Some people suggest that large scale social housing without the proper mix is a recipe for disaster based on the past. That can be argued whether or not that's the case. But also, and I've seen this recently, I was just writing about it recently, you have a scenario, an ongoing scenario in very big urban areas whereby any type of social housing, not to mind large-scale social housing, where there are plans put in, you have vehement objections very often from those who are already there, particularly those who are living in private housing. How do you get past those kind of issues and what government is willing to take on those kind of issues? Well, I think... Any government that wants to tackle the housing crisis has to deal with these issues. So let's deal with the capacity issue first. If, if I might digress for a, a second and say, for me to be answering this question is really ironic. Why? <laughs> because 10 years ago, 10 years ago, we Social Justice Ireland produced a policy briefing on investment in Ireland. Okay, And in it, we showed, we compared Ireland to all the other EU uh, 27 countries, the other 27. And what we saw... Uh, was and what worried me most wasn't the fact that Ireland had the lowest level of investment of any country in the EU. It was that if we doubled our level of investment, we'd still be the lowest. There's no money here. But hold on, that's nonsense. Um, and I, let, let me show you why it's yeah. nonsense. Okay, um, I remember sitting down uh, in the Department of Finance with John Morden, the Secretary General, and saying to him, "Look, here's how you do this." Um, you go to the European Commission, you go to the European Central Bank, and you basically say, we have a, a huge problem on one side here. We have insufficient housing, it, despite the fact that we've been growing and we had a Celtic tiger and before it blew up and all this kind of stuff. We, we still have not dealt with this uh, failure in infrastructure. It's not really at the European level that we have sufficient uh, accommodation to give to, to ensure that everybody has a decent uh, place to live. Uh, so we need, from a moral point of view and from a sort of even from a pure economic point of view, we need to have proper accommodation. The second piece is we have a labour force that is suddenly has become unemployed, that is construction peak workers all over the place, and they suddenly find themselves with no, no work. Their, their jobs are gone. We can employ these people and put in the infrastructure. Now, the infrastructure is a one-off payment. It's not going to be something you renew all the time, okay? You put the money in. You keep the people in jobs. You build, you use the skills they have to build, okay? And he, uh, anyway, I, I, I argued the case out. The result was, it, it, just to finish it off, the interesting thing about that is he wouldn't listen to it at all. He wasn't prepared to make the case. He wouldn't put the case to the European Commission or the European Central Bank and all this kind of stuff, right? And what's he today? He's now the, 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 the chair of the Land Commission or the, whatever they land call that, the Land Development Agency, right? And they have responsibility for building housing. So you can 
I, I, you won't be surprised if I if I cast yeah, a certain I, ironic eye on that and, and leave and it at that. To be, like. to be fair, and just very yeah. quickly, to be fair, at the time when we're talking politically, yeah. Yeah. remember we were talking about a scenario yeah. whereby there there appeared to be no money, we could That's get money good. somewhere. Fair enough, and also all over the country, the big story everywhere was ghost estates. I know they were in the wrong place, right. empty houses, hundreds, That's thousands right. of them. So in order to have done what, what you're saying was absolutely long-term focused, yeah. but you can also understand why those who were firefighting effectively weren't prepared to take it on. But I, I, but I, we, I take but, your point. But it, it, it's a classic example of let's not repeat the thing again This at this point. Fair point. Let's not actually wind up taking the short-term solution and not solving the long-term okay. problem. So here we go. What about the other elements? The, the, other, the other elements of it, like I would ser- strongly dispute the fact or the idea that uh, putting a lot of social housing together doesn't actually work. Um, there, there are one or two bad examples of that that have, uh, and Ballymun is always held up as an example, although there's some very good communities in Ballymun. But the, the actual reality was that the, the problem in Ballymun was, was a different kind of a thing altogether. We built high rise um, and we, we had open doors. Anybody could come in. And I remember Tony Fahey, Dr. Tony Fahey, professor uh, in UCD and he'd done a presentation of 15 years ago or more, 20 maybe, uh, in the ESRI at the time, talking about social housing and so on. And he had been studying social housing in different places. And he w- he made a very simple, uh, he asked a simple question. We were in the ESRI building and he said, if the ESRI decided to open its door and leave it open 24-7 with no concierge and nobody looking after it, who comes in and out, how long do you think the building would last in, in its pristine condition? Like that was a, an issue that happened in a lot of Ballymun. But if you look at a lack of facilities, a lot of well, facilities yeah. as well, huge, no, no planning around it. But if you look at an awful lot of the rest of the developments of Dublin in the in the in the in the forties, fifties, sixties, like they have produced excellent estates, and they are they settle down over time. You know, they, there can be worries about them and concerns about them, and lack of balance, and there's too many young people in them, and so on. But they they settle down over time, and like. They, they have produced very solid communities that any any city would be proud of around the world today. About, not what, just what about the element of pri- people in private housing? Obje- and we've seen, we've seen politicians backing it constantly, particularly in Dublin and Cork and the cities, I trying think to stop social housing. There's an expectation in Ireland that... Uh, you, you, you have to have a certain type of housing where you have a front garden, a back garden and a, a, a sort of a two-storey, three or four-bedroom house or whatever. Uh, in actual fact... Um, we need to face a reality that most that, that what that's driving us to is long commutes, and we don't have a public transport system to carry that. So we're forever in uh, traffic jams and so on, and we don't need tractors to be putting creating uh, uh, our tractor kids to be creating traffic jams in cities. There's traffic jams in cities every every morning, every evening of the week, and much, much of the day. Uh, and people, why? Because we're trying. There's the only transport system that most people have is the private car. So not alone are we going crazy, spending hours uh, hours commuting, we're also polluting the environment and creating CO2 emissions and damaging the climate and a whole lot of other stuff. We need to think in terms of different kind of living patterns and spaces and cities work differently. So if you look at, for example, a city like Vienna, and I, I have to say we were pointing to Vienna and using it as an example for years before, now it's actually being looked at 
A, a little. I won't say too seriously yet, but it looks. It seems to be looked at by by government at this point, um, and people involved in the planning. But like two thirds of the of the housing in Vienna is social housing. It's it's social rented housing, and it is perfectly solid, decent housing with good tenures and so on. Okay, and none of, none of the kind of price gouging that's going on and so on in the in the in the market here we need to move our housing system to where it ought to be an example just one single number that because i don't want to be putting too many numbers to your listeners now but the the average uh, percentage of housing in european countries that is social housing is 20% 20% of the housing in the country is social housing in ireland it's only 9% so we need to face up to the fact we don't have anything remotely close to the level of social housing that most countries in Europe and the average country in Europe has. So we have a long way to go before we catch up. And the idea is, it has to be that we put it where uh, they sort of, uh, they're, they, it, it's possible to commute easily and uh, use uh, walk and cycle and, you know, use local transport rather than expecting to like put a, put uh, put um, housing in Carrigan Shannon or Drummond or something and expect people to commute every day to Dublin yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, that, that type of nonsense uh, and that type of idea of where we ought to be uh, needs to be actually re-looked at. We need to reimagine our cities. We need to reimagine our villages and towns. We need to reimagine our uh, our sort of uh, living situation uh, and the, the geography of how, how, how people are distributed. At the moment, we're building and building and building and increasing the the east coast. And I mean, I keep making the joke about at the rate we're going, the whole the country will topple over and, and, and fall into the RSC. There's an element of truth in that. Absolutely. Now, just to move it on, Sean, the other big issue at the moment is health. Now, th there is a model in place, an all-party committee agreed to slaunch a care. It looks absolutely on the face of it to be an equitable delivery of health care. The big problem is that the funding has not been in there. And personally, I don't see any incoming government prepared to put that funding there. One of the issues that arise there is over 40% of the people already have health insurance. Do politicians look at that 40%? And remember, we're talking about the people most likely to vote in that 40% and say they don't really want this disruption they don't really want the scenario whereby it's all flattened out into a one-tier health system. Is there going to be any change there? I think there has to be change. Uh, the way we're trying to run our healthcare system is a classic example of how we're dealing with short-term solutions to long-term problems. And then we are hugely surprised uh, when the short-term solution doesn't produce a long-term result or short-term intervention doesn't produce a long-term result. I think we need to stand back and say, okay, what, what's the key to driving a, a successful healthcare system? One of the keys has to be that that we stop this sort of situation that we have developed where the, the normal place, and put normal in inverted commas, uh, for uh, anybody to go if there's any kind of problem at all is into accident and emergency. Uh, like that should not be the priority. What should happen is that we should have a primary care system with local uh, primary care teams at local level. Now, uh, again, we were, pilot, uh, were uh, promoting this 20 plus years ago. 
in fact, the first five, uh, the, the, the commitment to pilot five primary care teams in Ireland was, was included in the national agreement in the year 2000 at the behest of um, Social Justice Ireland as it was at, before uh, in, in its prior incarnation. 20 okay? years ago. 20 years ago. The minister, by the way, was Michal Martin, which is interesting at the time. Okay? Now, the reality was uh, there was a, it was slow to, to, to get up and running, but eventually we have actually got the primary care teams more or less covering the country. We have primary care centres. We have primary care networks. What we don't have is the kind of support for them to work the hours they need to be. I had a conversation recently, a very interesting conversation with the Minister for Finance. I was making this point very strongly. And he was saying he absolutely agrees. And this, this is Pascal Donahuno. And he said um, that there was a very good uh, primary care centre in his constituency and he had been in it quite recently. And one of the things that impressed him, he was in it one evening, and one of the things it had was a very good coffee dock, which we would always say there should be all sorts of facilities yeah. within the primary care. The problem, he said, was the coffee dock was the only thing that was open in the primary care centre at that hour of the evening. Yeah. And like that undermines the purpose. Like The purpose should be that if anything happens to you, like your first port of call should not be any in the hospital. Your first port of call should be the primary care team in the primary care centre. And therefore, there is, there is a blueprint out there for rolling out of all these networks of primary care centres. Most of them are built. Most of them are in place. Uh, but they're not properly resourced yet. Put the money in at the bottom. And every political party, I think, would agree with that. But the issue is, it doesn't happen. And to be honest with you, I don't have a huge amount of confidence that certainly in the short term it will happen. But the, the issue is this. Is there a political will to do it mm. or not? If there's a political will, you just do it. Sloane to Care is an excellent blueprint. Now, the reality is, of course, that there's quite a lot of officials, I think, myself, and some politicians who actually ca have serious doubts about it but won't articulate that in a public arena. But uh, they certainly... Doubts have, about the cost of it, do you think? No, or? no, just doubts about it as a, as a as strategy. But And they have articulated that to me because I've been making this case in favour of Sloane to Care to them. Uh, but I, I would strongly support the Sloan to Care approach. There's one issue in healthcare uh, that might surprise people. And we have been making this every year in response, in our analysis of the budget, the day after the budget is published. We publish a uh, when the government goes, uh, puts out its budget. The following morning, we publish a 24-page detailed analysis and critique of the budget every single year. Um, and in the last four or five years, in our editorial, we have pointed out that the, we believe the numbers being provided in the healthcare budget are bogus. That in other words, it is not possible to deliver the existing level, level of service, the ELS as it's known in the system, the existing level of service, plus the new in initiatives that are proposed for the money that's in the budget. And year in, year out, we've been proved right. And by, Are and you saying I, we're not spending enough? No, no. I'm saying that we need real accounting. Like, we made the argument to the officials in Deeper um, that this issue needs Deeper to be... Deeper being the Department, the Department of, of Public Expenditure yeah. and Reform uh, at, at a very senior level in that department. And we were making the argument that they should insist that we get real numbers and uh, blah, 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 and started pointing out that we believe the numbers were, were bogus. And their response to us wasn't that we will tackle it or we'll investigate or whatever. They're, they're just slagging us saying, ah, well, it is very easy to predict that there'll be a problem in healthcare budget because there's a problem with it every year. 
Now, with due respects to the high-level officials, that is not a valid or a serious response to a point that itself is very serious. We have a right to know whether the actual numbers being put out are real or not. And if they're not real, then the so the the, the uh, TDs, the government, the opposition, the Doyle, the Oireachtas committees should all demand proper numbers, accurate numbers are put on the table. If we had accurate numbers on health, we'd at least have the first step taken towards dealing with the issue. At the moment, what, and for several years now, we've been playing games with the numbers. We're saying we're going to increase it by X. We're going to take this, that and the other initiative because we have, an, we have something we want to do with disability or we want, and these things need to be done. I'm not saying they need, don't need to be done, but we're saying do those, right? But we're also saying we'll maintain the existing level of service and what the government is actually doing with that when it doesn't provide them the money for it, it's basically getting the officials to do one of two things. They either, they decide the cuts rather than the government or they spend the money and we have to have a supplementary budget. And we are getting a combination of those two every year for the last several years. And we have a new H uh, CEO now in the in the in the HSE, and he's seen Paul Reed, and he seems determined to deal with this. But my problem with what he's at is that he's not he's not giving the priority that he should give to the primary care. He's too focused on on the, ensuring that the hospitals get it. The uh, the, the sort of um, the, the hospital end of it will get a lot of the budget always. But I think if we're to ever deal with the problem we have, we have to go back to the foundation and the, the, the development of primary care teams and primary care centres and primary care networks and the rolling out of those uh, as the primary space in which people engage with the, with the, uh, 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 as a first step in the, their healthcare. Sean, as I said at, at, at the outset, your research is evidence-based, as you have pointed out yourself, and I think there's one or two other examples you have been shown in the past to be correct in terms of what was unfolding and what should have been invested in and the problems that would arise if the investment wasn't made. Your focus is on a more equitable society. Yet, we do not have a very equal society. There does not appear to be the political will to follow through on an awful lot of the stuff that you've presented continually to successive governments. Why do you think that political will isn't there? I find it interesting, you know, to, to, look, to look at the at the debate today. And I think we have eventually got the debate to a point where people are realising that you can't have European levels of infrastructure and services, like in infrastructure in, in social housing and public transport in broadband and so on and services in health and education and 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 childcare and 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 so on you can't develop or have the level of infrastructure and services that the rest of Europe has or or that western Europe has and that Irish people expect you can't have that for american levels of taxation like it's not you can, a situation where you can have both the American situation has a lower tax take and has a much poorer infrastructure and much poorer services and much greater exclusion of people uh, and as a and much more deeply divided society. We are heading in the American direction unless we face up to the fact that we need just taxation, as no, we on, call it. On that point, yeah. do you believe that we have American levels of taxation? Because an awful lot of people w w would the, disagree with it. The, 
we have a low level of taxation when you take all of taxation. I'm not talking about income tax. The problem a lot of the time when people think about taxation is it defaults to income tax and they know they're paying a higher level of income tax. The problem is we're not maybe doing what we could do on, the, on other fronts. For example, I'll give you a simple example. One of the things that we've been arguing about for the last decade is that, and more actually, is that there should be um, a, a, a mechanism put into place to, to stop the nonsense where the most profitable country, com, uh, companies in the, con, uh, the country, some of them at least, are only paying 1 or 2% in taxation of their profits. That not, not 1 or 2% of their turnover, 1 or 2% of their profits. They're keeping 97, 98%, 99% of their profits. Now, we think that's wrong. Yeah, now, but there's on, one, one point there, and that's continuing. And what will be the response to that in a lot of the government agencies, the successive governments, is they may not articulate it, but they're scared stiff that if they go near that model, the FDI, which is such an integral part of the economy here, will dry up. That's what they'll tell you. Absolutely, sure, they've told me. And like, I, I think that our way of dealing with it will preserve the FDI. Okay, what, what are we proposing? We're not proposing to change the 12.5% tax rate at this point. Uh, that's a, we, that may be affected by Europe eventually. But at this point, we're simply saying have a minimum effective corporate tax rate. That is the percentage of their profits that they must pay in tax with no breaks whatsoever allowed and put it at 6% to start. There's a 12.5% rate. We're saying if you put the minimum effective corporate tax rate at 6%, then the government still has plenty of space to incentivize the corporates to do whatever, take whatever action they, they, they need to take, okay? So we need to take a serious look at that, okay? And, and on that side. On the other side, though, we also need to look at something else. A, a recent study uh, on electricity in Ireland shows that almost 30% of all our electricity uh, in about 10 years' time, is going to be spent on uh, maintaining uh, the cloud. Okay? The now, cloud the, where the, we the, store everything. Where everything is going to be stored. There's a huge cost in energy. Yet these companies have had no restrictions put on them. You know, like we're talking about farmers having to reduce their number of cattle or uh, cars having to stop using diesel and petrol and all this kind of stuff. But nothing about these guys who are actually so uh, who are actually using up huge amounts of our energy. So we're going to be spending a fortune, uh, turning our energy green, if you like, so that these guys, uh, the transnationals, can go off and make more money uh, and pay no tax again, or little or no tax in in uh, in in in, ter- in 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 a sort of a, a quid pro quo, if you will. It seems to us that if you want just taxation, you need. A, just, a, a tax take, overall tax take, that is closer to the U- European average. Okay. And we, we don't even say you have to go to the European average, go cl- close to it. And then you need to increase equity in taxation and reduce the income inequality. And we also need a fair share of corporate profits for the state. Okay. Can, can I put this to you, though? In relation to that, and an awful lot of people who are more in favour of an equal society, their solution involves, which to a certain extent yours appears to involve, we need more taxation, we need more resources, but, I don't know, 90, 95, 98% of people will not have to pay more, will not have to contribute. And quite frankly, that seems to me to be dodging the bullet because if you're talking about a properly equitable society, then you're going to have to rebalance resources within the population rather than looking exclusively to the likes of corporations or what have you in that regard. 
I think actually the, 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 when we look at that uh, as a country, we're always looking at ourselves and never looking at the corporation. So, like, we just think there should be a balance between these. There's different sources of taxation and that there's different ways of generating just taxation, fair taxation. An example might be on the property tax. We would never have put the property tax that's in place today in place. We would simply, we have opposed it from the beginning. We don't think it's the way to go. What we produced, what we proposed instead and have argued for 15 plus years, nearly 20 years, is for a site value tax. In other words, that it's the value of the site that should actually dictate how much uh, tax you, you still pay. find huge, op- huge opposition to it the same way as you would to the property tax. But huge the, opposition. I know, but like you asked me a question about like fair. whether it's fair or not. Like, okay, I think we need to. One of the things that that I think we need badly is uh, evidence based policy, and like while you know sometimes you be you, you hear this and then you see some really dodgy fake news put out by a political party pr- uh, pretending to be a actual uh, evidence based policy proposal i think you should have a, a, a situation where proposals are put on the table where those proposals can be analyzed where the evidence can be uh, put out on the table and and looked at carefully and saying, okay, does this evidence stand up? Does it apply in Ireland? Uh, Is it it likely to generate the kind of outcome that we want? If not, take it off the table. If yes, then let's take a serious look at it. I think Irish people are profoundly intelligent about, about all of this stuff. And I think they are very open to seeing fair solutions. And I think Irish people are well aware that despite the hugely positive macroeconomic numbers we have, they're very aware of the fact that this does not apply fairly across the system, that like the benefits of the growth have not gone, uh, uh, there's no trickle down uh, system that actually works in practice. So in in reality, much of that growth and much of that uh, development has actually gone to the benefit of the few, not the many. And what we need is a new approach that is fairer. Most Irish people will say, we will, and they show this in polls, we will accept that the money has to go into infrastructure and it has to go into services to bring those services and infrastructure up to the levels of the European Union average, Western European Union average, that uh, the EU 15, for example, that that would be our peers, if you like. And that's what people expect. They look at France, they look at, uh, at, 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 at the Nordic countries and they say, that's the kind of service, that's the kind of infrastructure we want. Right. If that's what we want, we have to decide on how we're going to pay for it. Uh, we don't have to pay for it exactly the way the Europeans do, but what we can be sure of is if we go the American way, we will not be able to pay for it. So we have to find a way. But we can do that by having a serious discussions about this. Now, an example of where we don't have discussion like is in this whole area, there's no public discussion of substance. What you get is, is kind of just... Uh, sort of government by slogan, if you like, okay? And there's evidence is not put out on the, on the table. Uh, now, for all the slagging of social partnership and all that sort of stuff uh, that goes on, uh, much of that slagging done by people who weren't there are people uh, who had vested interests in not having a fair society. Uh, in reality, what that process did do was it, it provided a forum where people could argue and government could argue um, 
and all the sectors of society were there, could argue about the evidence and to say, is, is this the best way to go? Is that the best way to go? Is the other a, best, a better way to go? And then have, we need some kind of mechanism at the moment for social dialogue in Ireland. Uh, we don't, you can't run a modern democracy without involving the various sectors in society. The idea that in some way or others we elect people and off they go and we don't hear anything, like we don't have any other say for the next five years, that's a 19th century view of democracy. We need a social dialogue going on involving all the sectors, not just employers and trade unions, though they are absolutely central, but you have to involve the farmers and you have to involve the environmental sector and you have to involve the community and voluntary sector and you have to involve them all with government. And whether government likes it or not, like you, they have to engage with these if they want public support for informed decisions to build a future where there were, that would produce a vibrant economy, that would produce decent services and infrastructure, that would produce just uh, taxation, that would produce good governance and that was sustainable. Sean, I think an awful lot of people have taken an awful lot from that. What I can say to you is, hopefully, once a programme for government is produced following this election, We'll have you back to take a sconce at it. I'd be delighted to do that, Mick. Thanks very much, Sean Healy. OK, folks, that's it for today. I'd like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford.examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. Just to let you know, for the course of the election, we're also hoping to bring you a few extra podcasts starting with our first uh, politically based, strictly politically based one uh, next Tuesday. See you then, folks. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.